listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am delighted to be chatting with you today. Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to the discussion. Doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, um, I guess to kind of try to tee up today's conversation uh, for our listeners, I guess one of the things that we always has really kind of been a bit of an underpinning of, of our work uh, over over a number of years now, and, and, and something that I, I really feel guides a lot of the strategic opportunities and decision points and whatnot that manufacturers have, uh, that B2B manufacturers have, in the marketing realm is kind of the, the the niche orientation of of the markets that they serve but kind of the extent to which um, their success is predicated on being um, well known or making connections within you know very niche categories so um, and there's kind of different degrees of that I guess and and I guess one thing that we've just always found is that, kind of where you fit on that spectrum changes things for how you move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just the combination of, or their niche orientation, you know, part of the rest of that is that cross-referencing it with how, you know, how account focused they are and, and kind of the tools they bring to bear on that process. So, and it's the combination of those two things that kind of, decides where somebody falls on this model yeah exactly and 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 of course those two things are kind of connected in some way i mean if you think about what you what you just said i mean basically you know if you if if you're in a market that isn't particularly niche then maybe your um the requirement to be account focused and have account based revenue competencies and things of that sort and to kind of think about the world through that target account lens maybe that isn't as required you know or um, even possible yeah so you know why would you have that muscle developed uh i guess would be a way to think about it. but i guess that's why that's kind of what we're talking about today isn't it it's like okay so um uh what do you do when you find yourself towards the uh, 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 the what would be in our maybe in our way of thinking a bottom end of niche orientation, which what we actually mean is a larger, a much larger niches. Like when you're a B two B manufacturer and you find yourself operating in a in very pretty big categories. Mm-hmm where there's potentially thousands or tens or hundreds of thousands of possible accounts. Yeah. It's much harder to kind of wrap your arms around the full breadth of it. It's not like you're just picking the, you know, the manufacturers of pet food in Canada specifically, (laughs) you know, where you know that there's only like 30 of them or whatever. Yeah. Or you're just selling into automotive factories. Well, that's a pretty limited number of those. Um, yeah, I mean the example that we always use, and the the person's been a the brand has been a guest on this show, uh, is a Klein Tools. I mean, it's a great example 
of a uh, a very large tool brand um, that sells a lot of different things, pliers to electricians being at the core, but certainly uh, PPE and a lot of other things required for the job site. Um, so as a result, they you know their market's pretty big. Like you, they they make their products available and Lowe's and Home Depot and every distribution channel known to uh, to man, right? Yeah, almost down to the B2C, re well, actually in the B2C retail channels. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, in uh, tools is kind of a good example because they do kind of uh, bridge a bit of a gap. But um, uh, I wonder how much of that is actually related to things like COVID making people pay more attention to what pros use in a particular category and then seeing it dribble down into yeah, it was happening well before covid to be fair we can we can blame covid for a lot of things but i don't know that we can give it credit for that yeah i don't know anyway anyway but um so yeah i mean i guess that's the topic of today's show is kind of um is i think we've just we, we've we've uh, experienced some interesting examples of uh, brands that are would, would would fit in that category of being b2b manufacturers that kind of function in more b2c-esque markets if you will mm -hmm. and and um uh, and we've seen some examples of them taking approaches to going to market that are actually more akin to very highly niche players which is why i think our audience kind of ought to be interested in this because there's on, on the one hand, you could look at a Klein Tools or what have you and say, and almost dismiss what they do from a marketing perspective and say, it's a playbook that's not open to me because, um, you know, they're they're playing in a more B2C-like space. It's a big brand space. Um, uh, most of their marketing and communications will kind of be a little bit more brand-centric. Um, and, and maybe there's not a lot of similarities to how they function and how I function as a highly niche manufacturer, for example. But I guess a couple of these more recent examples of how they go into market, to me, uh, kind of point to uh, them taking approaches that are more targeted and more one-to-one, -one, more operating at the account level, which I just find fascinating and an interesting kind of connection, if you will. Yeah, and they're doing that on the back of a very successful, more large distribution strategy as well. I mean, if they weren't able to be successful, there would probably be a lot harder for them as a brand to break into this more one-to-one -one connectivity. And I guess what we're, to familiarize our listeners who may not have heard the episode, we'll link it up in the description, but... Uh, basically what they were doing was joining with their distribution partners and visiting major job sites and talking to the contractors and the carpenters and, and the electricians and everybody else about what they needed and, you know, introducing new products. But, you know, that's a pretty, you know, it's a, it's a pretty narrow reach when you're getting down to, I have to be in person on a job site in order to connect with this account. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's like a bit of the thing to unpack, right? So they're doing like tailgate demos and things of that sort at the job site. Um, toolbox demos, that's what it was. What's that? Toolbox. It was toolbox demos, wasn't it? Toolbox? I thought it was tailgate. Maybe it was toolboxes on the tailgate. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but, regard, uh, but regardless, I mean, the, the connotation is the same, frankly. I mean, they're, they're, they're demoing new products uh, on the job site. Um, they're working to get, uh, in this case, 
quite honest, quite physically closer to the customer, right? But getting the the Klein brand closer to customers, um, and, and and kind of being a more direct part of that relationship with a customer and not just selling to the distributor who sells it on through. And of course, for Klein, this is a bit of a response to uh, the distribution channels, uh, the stores, storefronts basically being shut down. The notion of the during the pandemic, the, the front of house was shut down, but there was still lots of sales happening out the back door, so to speak. How do we get in front of those people because the big fancy displays that we paid to have on the floor of our distributors uh, aren't really helping us right now when the lights are yeah. turned off and the training for the for the counter reps and and all of that no longer works if they're not talking to anybody right right so i i, I just thought wow that's a that's a that's a really uh interesting approach and it's an approach that would be i think more uh, familiar or likely to be imagined by somebody who or by a brand who operates in more highly niche categories and i guess as somebody who works with a lot of those types of companies i was kind of a little bit like aha you're coming over to our side you know as the big brand b2b uh marketer you're seeing benefit in um this um uh, closer proximity. yeah exactly yeah. I guess yeah. the, the other example I would uh, point to people, and we don't have a podcast episode to highlight here, but there's some interesting kind of uh, interview work that we've done uh, in kind of exploring the Cambro brand. Um, and, uh, you know, they're a, a brand that serves uh, professional kitchens uh, with storage solutions and wide, wide range of things. Um, and in their case, a big part of their strategy was trying to get closer to customers, get, in their case, get closer to the kitchen, um, uh, try to build tighter relationships uh, with those end users. Um, and I, I, I guess the, so often, anytime I've heard that type of language with brands often before, it would be through the lens of e-commerce, right? You would hear, which was kind of through the lens of uh, channel conflict and cutting out distribution, going directly to customers often. So, you, you know, I, I think that's a more kind of obvious play for people. I guess what I liked about the Cambro, both the Cambro and the client examples, is that these organizations uh, chose not to do that. You know, they're not trying to cut out distribution. They're not wreaking a bunch of havoc and channel conflict. Um, they're frankly working more in partnership with those channels uh, to to uh, further their uh, connectivity to end users. Um, one thing I suppose that would be similar between those two brands is they are both market category leaders in their space, aren't they? Yeah, they. they I think there's a lot of people who would be listening like, yeah, but I'm not a... You know, I'm, I'm not the client tools of my category or, you know, it's almost like, you know, in some ways, in terms of brand recognition, many of the companies we're talking with would be like an upstart shoe manufacturer trying to beat out Nike, you know, if you were trying to. <laughs> well, but, you know, but it's interesting because, um, of course, like a, a big brand like that, that's operating in a more B2C fashion, oh, they may do something um, like sponsor a nascar team mm -hmm. well 
that's certainly something that uh, the Mr. Upstart, Mr. or Mrs. Upstart can't do. Uh, you know, so I guess when does the excuses start and stop? <laughs> uh, because like, here's something that those big brands are doing that actually you can do, probably, in some way. Like, you can get closer to your customers. Um, you maybe not might not be able to sponsor a NASCAR team. No. I, I want to ask you what you think is both of these examples that, that you've given, and it's not to suggest that this is the only way for B2B brands to get closer to their customer when they're not operating in massive, uh, massively defined niches, is that both of these involved personal interaction, in-person interaction, as opposed to, say, you know, a more B2B niche player with a more well-defined niche might leverage account-based marketing or account-based advertising platforms to try and reach those targeted accounts. Do you think that when you're more to the brand side of this, that those platforms maybe make less sense due, just due to the scale of the audience? Or is there potential to use a terminus or demand base if you're client tools? Well, I guess I haven't done a match test on the platforms and look at those target accounts that broadly to be able to answer that question. Because, um, I, I mean, it's it's a double edge. On the one hand, you're like, oh, well, these are pretty broad, big categories. Um, uh, therefore, you know, do the, does this work? Well, you know, that just means the, you have a larger opportunity in some way to take advantage of more enhanced, take advantage of more enhanced targeting. Um, so provided you could, you know, the, the platforms where the, the targeting uh, fidelity was high, I guess, then I'd be like, hmm, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think there's less of a chance to use those kind of approaches at all. And in fact, I seem to recall in, the, in, in one of those discussions, I think it was Canberra. Like, I, I, I think advertising, um, uh, targeted advertising into the kitchen was part of that play. Um, of course, you could do that in a couple of different ways, um, especially if you don't mind a bit of crossover with kind of home pro chefs, if you will. Yeah, interesting. I mean, your your spend is certainly going to be much higher if the audiences are that much larger unless you're continuing to refine them and refine them and refine and you're a able to do that yeah and then of course in like saying Klein's case i mean I'm, I'm certain that they leverage their distribution network to identify those customers and to get onto those job sites right take take advantage of the fact that um those distributors are already closer to the customers than you are as the manufacturer and and basically that i think they had a 15 points off loyalty card um, that it was end user actioned, um, and they through the distributor, um, and that uh, that was kind of the price to pay to play, probably, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting thought. What what do you think if you know if you're a manufacturer and you kind of find yourself in this space, where would you look first? Would you try and work with those existing distribution channels? Would you um, try and get closer to those customers yourself? Like what, what do you think 
some of these uh, some of these organizations should should think about first? Yeah, I mean it's a it's an interesting question. I mean, I I feel like the sensibility that's required here is probably more resident in the sales organization than it is in the marketing org. Um, and you know, if like those account, uh, those people that are managing those distribution relationships, um, are probably closer to being able to action this maybe even than the, the marketers are. So I think the marketers ought to be kind of working pretty much in partnership. Like, I think Klein was a pretty good example of that where they had salespeople um, that were typically servicing the distribution channel that were frankly quite idle because of COVID. So they could be repurposed to be more on the job site. So they're still working in partnership with with uh, distribution, but in new and different ways. But at least then uh, the sales or you know, because you got to think about what does it take for this type of this type of program to scale? Well, it takes like a CRM, probably, right? It, probably a, a level of community, uh, you know, so that. And these aren't necessarily things that organizations like that are used to. Right. That's just it. I mean, they otherwise probably don't have one, really, because like, they don't think of customers in that way. Or if they do have a CRM, they don't have a CRM for customers as people truly No, it would be distributors. And Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It really does require a mind shift, hmm. you know, in how you, how you choose to go to market. And, and then, you know, I think for a, for a manufacturer that maybe they have, maybe they have strong uh, distribution relationships, but it's hard for them to imagine how to scale it in, in a way that they could put boots on the ground, as it were, um, and, and, and action it in the same way that Klein did. You know, I, I don't see any kind of impediment to a more marketing-led approach, I guess, as I think about it. I think it just probably leads you down a little bit more, like you say, about you may be taking more, you know, ad-centric initial steps as opposed to demoing product at tailgates mm. initially, I mean. Yeah, yeah. What about organizations that think they're here, but they're really not? <laughs> what do you mean? Like a manufacturer that thinks they're a brand, that it's a brand play for them, and they don't think they have a niche orientation, but they really do. You know, do, do you think that there's a path to success for them? So like this is somebody who thinks that the brand is the power of like they're 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 a client that doesn't believe they're a client, is that kind of the example? Or they think they're a client, but they're really not, and they're selling to much smaller, more. They they don't think they they play in niches, but they really should. Well, I mean, I think what we're talking about here largely are are brands that that don't think of themselves as niches, but are leveraging niche tools. Um, you know, Cambro and Klein being good examples of that. So if you actually are somebody that's well suited to those tools <laughs> to begin with, um, then yeah, you're better off to not think of yourself like a client or a Cambro. Um, you know, so kind of the investment required to build a brand to that level. I mean, we talked about how they're category leaders. Well, they're part of that is is their brand power and what they've built um, because of their visibility in in their communities of interest. You know, if you're a smaller manufacturer that's harder and part of that is that prosumer crossover too like like uh, you know like uh, 
Klein Tools sells swag on their website to people who uh, live in New York City and think it's fashionable to have a tool bag as their you know, purse or what have you, or their, or their overnight bag. Um, well, that's only because there's a level of prosumer crossover in that category that enables that tool brand to be uh, more cultural, if you will. Um, I would say the Cambro and the kitchens are just kind of the same way. Yep. When you start to see them show up at Costco, that's how you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so there'd be plenty of like kind of people that fancy themselves home home pro chefs uh that want to have what they see the serious eats people using on youtube right 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 um so if you're in a category that serves let's say like instead of uh pliers for electricians along with a whole host of other things maybe you sell a niche product to uh, the in the hvac space or something hvac space um the the brand place certainly isn't there for for you in the same way. No, um, and it, and that that's a risk that marketers who don't necessarily understand how to market into niche categories potentially run the risk of wasting money to try to promote a brand that isn't at that level yet. Right, and if they're you know, if the if their end goal, if somebody that 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 uh, the HVAC person I just mentioned, if their if their uh, the, the, their ultimate vision is to have somebody on the New York City subway buying swag that looks cool with their logo on it because they've Im successfully embedded themselves in culture, it's like that isn't going to happen, and it it's not going to happen regardless of how much money you have because it's just that space doesn't cross over in the same way. You know, that person could, could work with their uh, small network of distributors and um, and work to do demo days and and um, whether they're toolbox or tailgate demos or whatever it is. Um, and you know, so they could, I guess they could pull that club out of the bag of client tool. They could say, yeah, no, I'll try that though. Um, you know, so that's a, maybe that's kind of the interesting point here is that um, I, I guess if, if you're some, some people look to those bigger brands to validate approaches that they might be thinking about and uh, maybe this helps them uh, get the confidence to do it yeah well I mean one thing we can say for sure is that you're never going to go wrong by talking to your customer yeah it is interesting though of course to think about that these people have more customers yes <laughs> that they can talk to as a result of those leadership positions um uh yeah and the in the example of klein i think they were more trying to it was also a bit of a we're more than just pliers play right like mm -hmm. uh, like people don't necessarily think klein tools and ppe in the same breath um so as a category leader i mean for a way to find new revenue that's kind of one of the ways that you may find yourself needing to go another way typically is you know typically if you're a market share leader then in a b2c space the secret is to increase consumption <laughs> uh, so you know if you're the leader market share leader in hamburgers your advertisement should be largely about getting people to eat more hamburgers um 
so it's interesting to think about that in like in the in, in the notion of a brand a brand like a Canberra or a Klein. How could they take the go even push further to a B two C kind of uh, approach and 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 do and conduct advertising that's around expanding consumption. I'm not sure it's possible. Like there's a limit to how many pliers you need. Now, yes, I mean, expanding the number of products you buy from us is one way of expanding consumption, but that's, it's not really, it's not the same thing. Not the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm kind of left wondering now if there is a, if, if there's well, a, if there's I a mean, there, I, you know, the, the, the way to do it, of course, is the Gillette model. Consumables. You find you develop something where you sell the tool, but the thing you need to run it is consumable. Hmm. And that's there's an awful lot of stuff going that way right now. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that 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 would be the model, which you know, maybe does work more in uh, in some of those other kind of more kind of specific categories like the HVAC model uh, yeah. that you were talking about. Yeah. I was thinking about like a, almost Canberra is an easier one. I can picture like the store everything campaign, like where everything ought to be in a Canberra. Like you could kind of. <laughs> <laughs> the baby. Yeah, no, exactly. And yeah. any, anything and everything that can be enclosed ought to be enclosed. And, uh, so like the store any store everything campaign would I suppose and, and if fictitious campaign we just made up, but um that would be about encouraging more consumption of what they already sell, which would be maybe the purest thing that you could get to my burger example. <laughs> anyway, I think this has been an interesting exploration of kind of you know, marketing options and opportunities for those um people that find themselves with a niche orientation that isn't particularly narrow and yeah. uh, uh and if uh yeah I, I mean i know it can be difficult sometimes to uh, pull inspiration from those from market leaders like uh cambro and, and klein but at the same time uh i think we've shown a few examples of where they're actually doing things that are available to others and mm -hmm. are, are available to the, the 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 masses if you will so <laughs> even less niche um thanks for the conversation mate it's been a pleasure thanks for listening to the cooler ring with carmen perry and jeff white don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring that's k-u-l-a partners.com slash the cooler ring